Hello, Blackhawks fans, and welcome into another edition of the Four Feathers Podcast. I am your host, Johnny Nani. I've got Patrick Comiskey finally back with us, and Ron Luce, as always. Time to crack them and get caught up on the Hawks. Gentlemen, good to be back on the mic with you. Patrick Comiskey, man, it has been a long, long time since you've been on one of these episodes. What the hell have you been up to? It's just been, uh, you know working crazy hours this and that uh but hey guys it's great to be back great to see your faces once again and uh talk a little hockey definitely ronald how are you doing my man i'm good man i, I echo what you got to say johnny when uh, when patrick here uh jumped onto the call we were all like oh hey buddy how's it going it's it's been a hot minute so no it's good to uh good as always to get back on the mic with you guys and uh it's gonna be a fun show i'm excited yeah, guys, it is going to be a fun show. Uh, we have a recurring guest, um, a former NHL player uh, by the name you may know him, Brent Sopel, 2010 Stanley Cup champion with the Blackhawks. Uh, he'll be our guest uh, this month because this uh, October is Dyslexia Awareness Month, and that is a cause that Brent Sopel does great work with. We did a little shout-out video Ron and I did before we recorded our previous uh, edition of the Four Feathers podcast, so you can go and check that out at Brent Sopel Foundation Facebook page. Um, but we're going to get Brent on and talk a little bit more about that. Um, obviously ask him some hockey questions as well, uh, and it should be a good time tonight, gentlemen. So, uh, before we do dive into the interview though, I need to remind everyone that four feathers podcast is presented by the on tap sports network. So make sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Uh, we've got all teams covered there, variety of other topics, fantasy football, gambling, um, pop culture stuff, um, all at ontapsportsnet.com. And then uh, please go and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Four Feathers Pod and at ontapsportsnet. Um, you can follow along with us there, see when new episodes and articles are posted. So, gentlemen, I think we're about ready to bring in our guest, Brent Sopel. All right, now we have Brent Sopel joining us, former Blackhawk 2010 Stanley Cup champion. He is a recurring guest, too. Uh, so, Brent Sopel, welcome back to the Four Feathers Podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, great to have you back on. So it's been a crazy year, uh, I think, in 2020. Uh, how has that been going for you um, and how, how are uh, just things in general? Yeah, you know, I'm healthy, safe, and still living. So, um, you know, that's a bonus. You know, it's uh, 2020 has been a crazy year. It's going to go down to something. We're not sure what. But, uh, yeah, you know, like I said, it's been uh, trials and tribulations just like everybody else. But can't believe we're at uh, the end of October already. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think how quickly this year has gone, even though it's been, you know, arguably one, one, of, the, one of the most chaotic we've ever experienced. Um, but for those especially that are new to our podcast, we do have a lot of new listeners. Um, some of them are familiar with your backstory from our, our interview that we were able to do with you last year. Um, but can you let some of those new listeners know kind of your hockey journey and then how that transitioned into your current work that you're doing? Yeah, you know, I'm uh, you know Canadian. I was born in God's country up in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. It's where I grew up and uh, started skating when I was two years old and and started making making the climb there. Played in the WHL, got drafted 144th overall to Vancouver and played my first NHL game here in Chicago at the United Center. And uh, you know, big full circle. Obviously, it's crazy how it worked out. You end up uh, you know coming back here and winning the Stanley Cup. But 18 years pro, over a thousand professional games, and uh, beat myself up. Lived around the world and not going to complain. Yeah, certainly doesn't get much better than that, Brent. I mean, especially, you know, like you said, you know, a thousand 
uh, a thousand games. And then, you know, now you slide into, you know, what you're currently doing. Um, and, and that's pretty, pretty special. I mean, it's hard sometimes for guys to find kind of their purpose um, when, when all things are said and done. But, um, you know, how did the Brent Sopel Foundation come to be, you know, and, and let some of the people that don't know what it's all about uh, know what, they, what you guys do over there? Yeah, the Brent Sobel Foundation uh, is for dyslexia. You know, I found out 10 years ago I'm dyslexic. And uh, how I found out is getting my daughter tested. And lo and behold, uh, at the same time, finding out I am. So I was 33 years old. And you know, after the game of hockey uh, ended, um, the real world was, uh, you know, obviously we know isn't a fun place. And for me, you know, being, you know, entering the real world at 40 years old with learning disorders, reading at a grade four level in high school, it was, uh, it was pretty rough, you know, spent a lot of time on drugs and alcohol. Uh, I ended up getting sober and, uh, that was exactly, that's kind of how the foundation, you know, started. Uh, I had to learn to be okay with who I am. And my goal is just to you know, make sure every kid doesn't feel the way I do every single day. And, um, you know, dyslexia is one in five, 20% of the population. So I got a lot of work to do. I'm trying to trying to change the education system. I just want to be there to support and educate, to, uh, you know, the world about dyslexia. I still think less than 20 percent of the world actually really knows what it is. Yeah, uh, Brent, like you'd said, um, definitely a topic that is um, kind of un, I'd say undercovered. Um, so we're glad to have you on to be able to talk about this. So um, October, uh, we're at the very end, like, like you'd mentioned earlier, but October is Dyslexia Awareness Month. And uh, last October, uh, we had the honor of attending your golf outing and fundraiser. And that, first of all, uh, was a blast and obviously for a great cause. But we're in a pandemic year. So what has the foundation been doing uh, this year, uh, given the pandemic? Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't have to do it. We got, you know, our events were canceled, our golf and, and uh, hockey events were, were canceled. But, you know, a lot of it, uh, I released a documentary uh, two months ago. It's on YouTube, Here to Change the World. So, you know, that was uh, that was the big project during, uh, you know, during COVID was uh, releasing that. But COVID really opened a lot of eyes to a lot of parents for the first time. They really actually saw how bad their kids struggle. You know, kid, you drop the kids off at school and they're eight, they're eight hours and you come home, do some homework. They know they struggle, but it really opened up a lot of eyes when they're there hour after hour after hour during this e-learning um, and really see how badly it is. So, um, you know, there's a lot more parents reaching out, you know, trying to advocate. And the one line I always say is you're not alone because of whatever battle you're in the middle of. doesn't matter if it's drug, alcohol, depression, dyslexia, you always you always think you're not, you're, you're alone and you're not. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you bring up such a good point, Brent, right? I think a lot of people are really, truly starting to understand this year, you know, just even just being trapped inside. So many people are learning that, you know, they get really bad anxiety or whatever it is that they're dealing with. So it, it's great that more people are reaching out to you and, and asking, you know, for your advice or, or even just for resources of where they can get help. You mentioned your documentary here to change the world. Uh, for those that maybe haven't been able to see it yet or haven't watched it yet, uh, could you just expand a little bit additionally, kind of what that dives into from your perspective? Yeah, you know, um, I was telling the truth about dyslexia. You know, I wasn't sugarcoating it. It was, uh, I think the word a lot of people use was raw, you know, because this is reality. When you're talking about one in five, this is this is what goes on on a daily basis. So, you know, I try to bring it to the forefront. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it the way it really is. So I just wanted to tell you what it is. Everybody thinks it's just flipping your B's and D's and there's, there's just so much more. And the biggest thing is there's no self-esteem. 
And, you know, obviously I talk about that a lot in the documentary and it was just, you know, again, I'm here to change the world. I believe it. I've been saying that for a long time. A lot of people look at me like I'm crazy, but you know, I'm going to do it. I'm here to do it. And cause it's not for me. My story's not about me anymore. It's about every other kid. Yeah. And I, I think you uh, bring up some great points there in what you just said. And obviously in all the uh, work that you've done uh, with documentary and through the foundation, um, I believe, you know, we've heard that line before, but um, you know, you, you keep saying that and uh, you know, it's not just a cliche phrase uh, because the work that you're doing is, uh, you know, extremely important. Um, and it's definitely opened uh, our eyes here because, you know, we, we didn't know too much about that. Uh, the being just the panelists here uh, on this podcast. So, you know, the more people that you can educate about it and uh, more uh, we can, I identify this. So um, definitely a great cause. So for that being said, um, if people are looking to get involved uh, with the cause and dyslexia awareness, what do you recommend as the best course of action to do so? Well, you know, we just launched a new website. You can go to our website, uh, brentswopelfoundation.org. And uh, if you want to reach out, you can email me there or you know, all over social media, you can reach out to me and there's more information on, on you know, on the website. And if there's you know more questions you have or, or certain things you want to ask, you know, feel free um, to you know email me or, or send me. You know, I always say uh, I'll get back to you. Um, you know, this is my purpose. I want to be known for my foundation, not for hockey. And um, this is my purpose and doing God's work. And I just want to help out anybody. I get you know just to look at a parent and at a kid and know that you helped them. There's no better feeling. Uh, well put there. And we really hope that uh, we can get back to uh, having some of these events uh, next year, because I do think those are great. But the cause is just so much bigger. Um, and being able to put those on, I know, uh, did you also do uh, hockey tournaments as well uh, for that? Yeah, you know what, this year was supposed to be our big one, you know, at the golf events it was supposed to be in May, we, you know, we partner up with Caddyshack. And so that was supposed to be really, you know, be great. And then we we're going to have yeah, a hockey event in September. So that all got canceled. And uh, you know, we kind of had to do a little, uh, you know, a little shift of gears, but that's where the documentary came into play and, uh, you know, some other things. So um, glass is half full. Uh, you know, we still were able to to get some voices out there with that documentary and, uh, you know, help kids. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you know, it, you know, we're our line's always open as well. You know, you say yours is as well. So um, if that stuff does uh, able to come to fruition and those events, you know, maybe postponed, yeah. but able to continue at another date, uh, we'd love to help uh, get the word yeah. out with that. So you just let us know on our, your end as well. Um, so as I mentioned uh, with hockey there, though, we do want to move into a few uh, just hockey specific questions. You being a former Blackhawk yourself organization recently released an interesting statement about uh, rebuilding. Uh, do you have any thoughts uh, on that when you heard the news? Uh, it was kind of, you know, a little bit shocking, uh, kind of not in other senses of the way, but just wanted to hear as a former player, uh, your reaction to that. You know, that's a message that should have been uh, done a couple of years ago and done in, done in a better job. You know, if you would have said to fans, Hey, listen, you know, we won three Stanley cups in six years, go back in, you know, the 104 years or whatever it is, how many other teams have done that? Very few. And we had to give up some great prospects and some great players and picks. But would you rather have us just to be good every year and not win and or be, you know, win three Stanley Cups and give it up? You know, we're still here to to win, but you know, it's going to be a little transition. So which one do you want? Do you want your cake and eat it too? Um you know, fans are they're smart. Just be honest. And I think that would have been, you know, the, they're trying to two-step around things. And uh, I thought it was very unprofessional. Um, you know, you had three Stanley Cups in your back pocket. Use that. Because there's very Please. few teams in the history of the NHL that have that. And if you laid that out for fans, say, hey, you know what? We won three. You know, we're, we're spoiled. 
we won three, you know, three and six. We're spoiled. You know, um, we had to give up some amazing players and some picks to get there. And, you know, now we have to, you know, stockpile again. Um, you know, we got our core guys. We still believe, still, you know, still want to win. But we're just going to have to do a little, little adjusting along the way. Brent, I think you just, uh, I think you just put your hat in the ring. I was going to say, I think he, uh, I think he was going to tell you, Brent, you, that you are in position to take over that GM job. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Again, you know, fans are smart. You know, there's certain certain places that you you can tell, you know say certain things. Maybe it's at Florida, Arizona. You can say different things. But here in Chicago, blue collar, they're with you. They've been team's been here for years. And um, if you just tell them, listen, hey, we won three Stanley Cups in six years. This it's not you know, the people want to put the dynasty word on there. You know, we could. These guys are going to go to the Hall of Fame. So just tell it the way it is. You don't always have to do it. You got to know what market you're in. You got to know where to leverage it at the right time. And you wouldn't have lost season ticket holders. You wouldn't have lost viewership if you're honest with them and laid it out to them in a certain way. Yeah, Brenton, uh, speaking of, you know, you mentioned those Hall of Famers and a lot of those core guys that you played with, you know, on that, on that 2010 team. You know, there's there's been a lot of reports of, you know, how they feel. And you're hearing, you know, Johnny was very probably out of the group, the most outspoken about it, which, you know, coming from him, I think a lot of people were maybe a little surprised by. Um, but, you know, given your experience playing with them, you were a teammate of theirs. How do you think they actually truly feel right now about the direction? Well, all they know, all they know what to do is, is win. You know, that's Stanley Cups, that's Conn Smice, you know, that's gold medals, you know, in Olympics, uh, world championships. So all they want to do is win. And, um, you know, right, GM, you know, Stan Bowman's got the right not to tell him. You know, he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to tell him. But I think they've earned the right what they've done for, you know, for that team, that organization. Stan Bowman's got a job only because of those guys. So, you know, he doesn't have to, but I think, you know, they've earned the right to have a conversation. If that is going to say, hey, guys, we're going to take a little left turn here and, and uh, kind of strip down. I think, you know, it's to uh, be a man and, you know, tell that to them. Those players, it's not me. I don't, you know, I don't have the respect those guys do. But those guys have most respect about anybody in NHL, what they've done, what they've been through. They deserve uh, being told, you know, first and foremost before anything happens. Absolutely. So, hey, Brent, you were on the roster kind of in the early days of these core guys coming up uh, when Taze and Kane were young and they were coming to the NHL. You kind of seen those guys come into their own. Now, moving forward, fast forward 2020, the Hawks kind of have this new batch of young players coming uh, up. Uh, what do you make of the guy, the young guys on this roster? Um, and who are you? Who are some of the ones that you think might really have an impact? Well, um, obviously, it's a little bit different style of game. You obviously got Kubalik, what he did, you know, did last year. Um, you know, obviously, he's, you know, he looks like he's going to be a 20, 30 goal scorer. Uh, you know, year, you know, year in and year out. Um, you know, Kirby Dodge is, you know, is that that big pick, and um, he, you know, he's got to excel even more. You know. Um, that wouldn't have been the pick I I would have taken. I wouldn't have taken him, so he's uh, he's got some big shoes to fill uh, there. And there's a lot of there's a lot of holes. Again, when you're you're paying some big salaries, um, when you're in a salary cap world, uh, a flat cap, and you know getting rid of Corey Crawford, a fan of at all. Um, they've got nobody in the back end, uh, nothing in net. Um, Corey's one of the best goaltenders. He's you know. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, too. And what he's done for this city, I, I don't think they should have let him go. Um, now, if you wanted to develop De- you know, Delia, 
okay, great. You know, let them learn from Crow. Crow works hard. Crow's one of the best. The reason Crow doesn't get the recognition because he's he's not like me. He's not pretty. He stops the puck, but he's not pretty. Just kind of like myself. But, you know, uh, go back to the playoffs in, in Edmonton. You know, he had COVID come back and he stopped 50, 50 shots. You just don't let, you know, give up on a guy like that for nothing. Uh, good points all around there, Brent. Um, I kind of want to take it back a little bit to your playing days for this next question. Um, and like you said, the game has definitely changed, uh, you know, since you were a mainstay there. But um, who was the toughest opposing player um, when you were uh, on the ice? Well, my, uh, my first game, I was Vancouver. Um, standing in the national lineup, look across, was Bob Probert. So I was like, oh, I'm going to die my first game. So um, we're all set. But <laughs> You know, the one guy that dominated me was Peter Forsberg. You know, he was just, he had every, everything, skill. He had a shot, he had hands. He was just so strong. And unfortunately his career got, you know, cut short by that, that ankle injury, but he was, he was a man with, you know, boys and kind of like Elmer Yager. He just was so strong. They could, you know, hold guys off with, with one hand and still make plays. It was, I hated playing against him because he dominated me every time. Yeah, Brent, I was going to say, I feel like Forsberg is just, he's a guy that doesn't get enough love for truly how good he is, like you said, you know, because that, that injury really derailed his career a little bit. Um, but for this next question, actually, you brought up about Kirby Doc. Um, obviously, you know, you like you said, he's, he's the big pick for this organization, you know, getting that third overall pick. And, um, you know, and like you said, he has big shoes, right? I mean, he, he's a center um, and a, a team that, you know, the last time they picked the center third overall happened to be Jonathan Taves. Um, you know, so like you said, he has big shoes to fill. Um, so kind of, this is kind of a two-party. You know, you mentioned he wouldn't have been your pick. So I'm interested to see maybe if there was a guy that you had in mind there. And then what do you think, um, you know, that Kirby Doc just needs to continue to do to maybe hopefully reach that elite level of center like a Jonathan Tapes? Yeah, I would have taken Bayer Bowden, who went fourth to, to Colorado. You know, he, there's very few times in the draft where they say, you know, a player or defenseman is going to be a guaranteed number one or two. And that's then that's what his is. He's going to be a guaranteed number one or two. Now, there's some great depth on the blue line here, you know, here in Chicago. And if you would have picked him, if you, let's just say you have three number one defensemen. Guess what? You can trade him for four Kirby Dodges. And that's my thought, you know. He's going to be a number one. You build from that back end. And if, you, if everybody, um, which amazingly all blossoms into, you know, the top team and that they see it, it usually doesn't go that way. But if you do, you have, you've got, you know, the whole league by in the hands because, you know, you're going to want to trade one of those. You know, you're going to get Kirby Dodge. you got two first rounders and, you know, some other players um, on top of that. No, no disrespect to Kirby Dodge. That's just the way uh, I would have went because number one D-man, are impossible to come across. And you take a look at uh, what Vegas did this year to go get to Petrolano. I, you know, I, they way overpaid, and I think they made their team worse. You look at Toronto Maple Leafs, have been trying to find one forever. So mm. that's my thought process. Kirby Dodge is a great player. And, you know, obviously he took strides in the playoffs, and um, he's just excelling his game. And what, when you're at a young age, you just have to learn how to play consistently, you know, night in, night out. When you're that number one guy and that number one center behind Jonathan Tays, you know, you got to be good every night. And when you're not good, you've got to be effective. And those are things, a lot of things to learn at a young age. Uh, and he's doing a great job of it. He's come a long ways. He's done a great job for sure. Uh, again, it's just the NHL's the, the hottest league in the world. There's 82 games. You know, when we do get back to it, it's the grind. There's just a lot of nuances, the little things that go a long ways. 
Absolutely. And, you know, as Kirby Doc kind of tries to come into his own, I kind of want to come back to when you were coming up in the NHL. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier about coming up kind of through the Vancouver Canucks organization. Um, If there's one thing that I always love through the Hawks years when you were there and everything, it was that rivalry the Hawks had with Vancouver. Um, It really seemed like there was some legitimate, legitimate hate going on between the two sides. Um, I almost, I, you know, I want to ask you, you know, you came up with Vancouver and then you found yourself in Chicago and did you ever find it, you know, maybe a little bit weird that, you know, you were there and then you came here and now you have this, all this hate brewing. Did you ever feel, you know, just kind of weird or in the middle at all? I mean, well, obviously, you know, um, whenever you get traded from a team and you go back and play them, it, it's a little bit different. You know, I came in the league as rookies with the Sedin Twins, you know, so I was, was with them when they're 18 through that whole uh, trade and drafted. So I was with them for years. I was with, you know, that whole team, Luongo and uh, BX uh, and everybody. But, uh, you know, when there's a Stanley Cup on, line, on the line, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I've fought many times. I've fought my friends. You know, it's you're on the ice. It's it's war. After that, you go deal with things after. And when you got a Stanley Cup online, it doesn't matter if they're you know your team, your old teammates, or what it is. But there was definitely a lot of bad blood. Yeah, uh, definitely, Brent. Um, when just uh, something that you had mentioned uh, about um, you know de- developing in these young players, and obviously we're going to see that now with the direction that they've finally come out and said that they're going in here. Um, there's probably likely going to be some bad hockey uh, over the next couple of years um, if this is the direction they're going in. Um, and you'd mentioned a couple of the defensive prospects that are in the system. What should Blackhawks fans watch for in their development? What, what's the biggest key? Because obviously we know it takes longer for defensemen than forwards. Um, I think we've gotten a taste of that of our own here. But um, what would you watch for, and what would be the biggest tells that a guy has it or he may be lagging behind? Well, right now the biggest thing I would say confidence is, you know, um, when I messed up, I knew I had Corey Crawford behind me to save my ass. Now who do they have back in net? You know, um, you take a look at, uh, you know, a lot of young guys, and, you know, if you're a minus and get, keep getting scored on, it's, you know, you watch that confidence, um, you know, it can, it can deplete quickly. You know, it's, uh, you know, you got to keep the puck out of your net first and foremost. And, you know, are those two goalies going to do it for you? Um, you know, every little mistake is that going to end up in the back of your net? You know, those are, it's tough pill to swallow. I, I, you know, I did that many times, had many video sessions, but, you know, uh, they're all great skaters. Um, it's just positioning, you know, are you going to be cheating for that offense or are you going to find a way to take care of that defensive side first and go, um, it's not a game of feet. It's game of inches. Absolutely. So Brent, um, I'm going to, as we keep talking about this change of direction with the Blackhawks, it's been as we're all big Hawks fans, we kind of live and die by this a little bit. I mean, we had that great run and now it's starting to get rough. Uh, they released that statement. Like we talked about, you didn't care for it. I really didn't care for it at all. Um, I'm a little confused with the chain, with the direction of the franchise. I don't understand, you know, exactly what it is that they're trying to do. I think they've had some mixed signals. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. Um, let's say were to walk in right now and start running the Blackhawks, you know, from a major front office role, would you bring Stan Bowman along with the ride and let him ride this thing out? Or would you want uh, maybe some new direction in there? Well, that's, you know, first and foremost, you need to get, you know, uh, a new president in there. Um, I don't think, you know, uh, they've got an interim right now. I don't think he's staying. So you've got to, you've got to lock that down here. And, 
you know, everything, leadership starts from the top all the way down, you know, so first and foremost, uh, you got to get that position locked in sooner rather than later. And then, you know, then, you know, obviously down stand and it, and it trickles down there. You know, would I uh, keep Stan on? No, you know, he's been around long enough. I think that, uh, you know, uh, a regime change is in order in my mind. And it starts from there and, and trickles down with some players, uh, some different blood and players, um, different coaches. I just think it'd be it's time to to make an you know, overall. If you're going to put out a note like that, you know, I think you need to follow behind it. Love it. Brent, I, I have another question for you, actually. So you mentioned, um, you know, we, I actually really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on, on the, the Byram pick, right, versus Kirby Doc. What are your thoughts about another young first-round pick defenseman in this organization right now and Adam Boakvist? What do you think, you know, based on what you've maybe seen of him and his play, you know, what do you think ultimately in, you know, six, seven years from now, what do you believe will be, the player that Blackhawks fans get to see on a nightly basis out on the ice. Well, I, you know, I think the organization, there's a reason why, you know, they pick Kirby Dodge is because they see him to be in, you know, number one, two. Obviously he's got the skating ability. You know, he's got the, the hockey sense. He's got the skill, uh, you know, to play the game. You know, uh, I never had that speed or skill. Um, and that's, that's his game. But, you know, is he getting better? Is he still making mistakes? Absolutely. He's still young, um, but he's got the, Kind of like when I played against Scott Niedermeyer, you know, he was, you know, if he made a mistake, he could make up for it with his skating ability. Boquist is exactly, you know, same thing. Now it's, uh, it's just developing a, a complete 200 foot game. You know, as a demon, you have to be uh, focused on your end. You take a look at uh, Duncan Keith early in his career. You know, he wasn't very good in his own end. You know, he obviously locked that down, become you know, winning a con Smythe, Norris trophy winner. And that doesn't happen overnight. And that doesn't happen by sitting in front of videos You've got to put the kid in, you know, into those situations. So uh, I think he's got great upside. I think he's he's done nothing but gotten better every time, every time he's been out there. But again, he's still got a long ways to go. Brent, one of the moves that kind of preceded this letter um, and led to, you know, where we're at right now is the trade sending Brandon Saad uh, to Colorado. And one of the guys in return was Nikita Zadorov. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to compare because, you with him because he was, you know, he's a little bit, he's taller, obviously, and he's a left-handed shot, whereas you were right-handed. But what do you think his impact will be uh, for some of these young guys on the back end? Uh, because I think the trade kind of overshadowed what Zadorov will bring to the team on the ice. You know, I've kind of felt bad for Zadorov. You know, he took a brunt of it uh, unfairly. You know, um, you know, it wasn't his fault. You know, he got traded there and you know, he's a good demon. He's a big demon. He's physical. Um, you know, he's going to stand out there for, you know, first teammates. He covers a lot of ice. Um, you know, I really, you know, he's good, you know, so the trade, I, you know, I'm not sure I understand the whole thought process of the trade, especially when you retain a million dollars of, uh, you know, sod salary. But again, you know, Zdorf is a good demon. It's not like you got, you know, you know, like myself, a bag of pucks and some broken sticks. He's very good. You know, he can play your top four. Um, he's big, he's lengthy, uh, he can do, you know, penalty kill. So we got to give him some credit to feel bad for him that he got stuck into the barrage of what he did, but he is a very good team man. Uh, and we'll definitely help the back end. Awesome. Love to hear it. I think we've seen over the last maybe just decade just a really change in philosophy and how some of these younger players, uh, like to be coached. And, you know, it kind of seems like, you know, 
got to give him the kids gloves almost a little bit. Uh, Stan Bowman actually talked about it on another uh, Blackhawks podcast recently about kind of why that was why they made the change with Joel. Uh, they wanted to bring Jeremy in because they thought he could resonate more with the young guys. Um, I don't know if, you know, you've ever crossed paths with Jeremy Colleton or before. I played with him in Long Island. Wow. Yeah. So I guess you as a player, you know, what do you think? Um, what did you think about this change? And I know you, I would assume you probably enjoyed playing with Joel. And what do you think about Jeremy and how everything has changed? Well, you know, uh, the world's changed, you know, not just sports, you know, um, we got to go kid gloves off, you know, kids don't get marks in school anymore, you know, participation and, you know, we've made this world, uh, you know, soft uh, all the way around and, um, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, coming in the NHL, you know, the coach was a boss, whatever he told you, you do it, you know, and uh, uh, that was it, didn't matter if you liked it or not, that's your boss and, you know, Joel was my boss and, um, he was that way, but he was very respectful. Um, he could read a bench better than anybody else. He could read personalities better than anybody else. And that's why he got guys to, to, to play for him and, um, you know, win three Stanley Cups and why he's the second all-time winniest coach, uh, you know, in NHL history. And, you know, I, I just don't think he had the right players uh, to play his system. You know, as a coach, you can only coach what you've been given. And, you know, I don't think he was given the right guys to play, you know, play that system. They decided to go to to a younger Jeremy Colton that wanted to resonate, you know, with uh, the younger crowd. OK, um, you know, that, if that's what you want to say. But there wasn't that many young guys. There were a lot of old ones. And um, so I didn't really understand it. You know, if I would have I would have finished off the year and give Jill the respect, uh, you know, finished off the year. And if you wanted to bring Jeremy in. But it's as a coaching, um, you have to change, you know, to be successful. And no matter what business you are, you have to adapt. And uh, as an organization, as a coach, as a player, you know, I went, came in the league as an offensive defenseman, finished off as a defensive defenseman. So uh, to be uh, to be good at whatever year you've got to evolve. And, um, you know, it's a different time now. There's a lot more conversations with players and asking players, um, hey, you know, what are you looking at? What do you see? And. Uh, more focus on mental health that's never been there before. So there's a lot of great things. It's just, uh, you know, very different than when I came in the league. Yeah, Brent, just uh, to quickly add on, obviously you mentioned your your playing time that you had with Jeremy Colleton. Do you think that the way that they did it, you mentioned, you know, letting Joel ride out the rest of that season before letting him go then in the offseason. Do you think that might have actually hurt Colleton because he didn't get a full another another full season down in the AHL to kind of fine tune his coaching style before potentially taking over? I wouldn't even say fine tune. You're you you're taking over halfway through the year for Joel Quinville, who's a legend. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, no matter where you are, when you you take over for a legend, those are unfair shoes for him to fill. And that's why I wouldn't have done it when I did. You know, you know that's him behind the bench during headlights. And, you know, fans love Joel. He brought three Stanley Cups. You know, great personality. So, you know, Jeremy Carlton had, you know, what, what chance did he have? He had none. You know, he, you know it kind of was kind of like the Sidorov trade. He, had, he didn't have a chance. So, you know, you go back, yes, he would have had a little more time in the AHL as a head coach. But he would have had, you know, you do in the summertime, those feelings, emotions kind of uh, you know, slowly just dis- dissipate before the start of the season. And they're not at uh, a million degrees like they were the way they were. 
Yeah, I think that's a good rundown, uh, good uh, you know thoughts on your uh, kind of take on what's going on uh, with the organization right now. Brent, uh, once again, we really appreciate the time you coming back, being uh, our first recurring guest on Four Feathers. So um, thank you uh, for that. And um, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And like we said uh, earlier, we really hope that we can uh, be meeting up in person once again uh, in the future for uh, further events, because we love covering those and helping you uh, get the word out about all the work that your foundation does. Um, But right now, everything is pretty much online. Unfortunately, that's just the world that we're living in. So uh, would you please let our listeners know where they can find you and all of your work uh, online to kind of stay in touch uh, during these crazy times? Yeah, our foundation, Brent Sopel, foundation.org, just launched a new website. Uh, you can email me on there if you have questions or our social media, you know, hit me up with a message. And thanks, guys, for having me on. You know, first time I'm a second guest and, you know, allowing me to tell my story a little bit more. You know, we don't know who this will, uh, will affect, who will hit, but, uh, you know, the message is you're not alone. Definitely, Brent. Um, continue the great work. Um, we really appreciate it. And once again, uh, October is Dyslexia Awareness Month, so still a few days left uh, by the time this episode is released. Um, and we just thank Brent for coming on again. Uh, but you know, like I said, it is October for the Awareness Month. Uh, continues all year round. And Brent, you do great work uh, at continuing that work. Uh, 365 days a year. So uh, we appreciate you coming on once again, and uh, you have a good rest of your night. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Brent. Take care. Thank you, Brent. And that was Brent Sopel for the second time, recurring guest on the show. We really thank Brent uh, for coming back onto this podcast. I can't believe after our first interview with him, he would agree to do that uh, and us annoying him at his golf outing uh, last year. But uh, it was great to have him. And obviously that golf outing, any events that he and the foundation would have planned were not able to take place due to the ongoing pandemic. So uh, good to get some outreach there uh, from Brent Sopel on all the important work he does from the foundation. And also interesting to hear his takes on what's going on with the Blackhawks currently, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, we have uh, that's uh, Stanley Cup champion twice on our podcast now. So, you know, maybe he likes us a little bit. That No, that was really cool. Um, obviously, he's doing a lot of great things out there. Um, something that's, you know, obviously affects him personally. And that that's really good. You know, he's still making an impact. And it was, you know, all those things he had to say, you know, he wasn't he wasn't exactly shy about how he felt on the Blackhawks currently. I feel like he feels like I feel so that, you know, it was nice to, uh, you know, bounce all those those ideas and off him and see what he had to say. Yeah. And just kind of, kind of echoing what Comiskey had to say too. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the level of passion that he has for, you know, his foundation and and the work he does uh, not only for dyslexia awareness, but for resources, you know, for people to, you know, reach out or, or seek help or whatever it may be. And, and, you know, like Comiskey said, obviously, it's something that personally affects him. So for him, you know, you always have that extra sense of pride and passion about what you're doing. And you can definitely tell, you know, the fact like like you talked about his documentary and, and the word raw, you know, and and just it, it's powerful. Right. I mean, when you live it, it's it makes it more powerful. So um, it, it's great to hear from him about that. And then, yeah, I mean, like like we said, you know, this is a two time guest on our podcast. Now he's a Stanley Cup champion over a thousand games in the NHL. Um, or at least professionally. And, um, you know, it was really nice, you know, hearing his, I think, non-sugar-coated, you know, how he feels about the, where the Hawks organization is, you know. You see some of these guys that's kind of trying to tiptoe and, and fine line it sometimes. But, you know, and, and he wasn't, it's not like he was sitting here and bashing the organization. He was just being honest. He's like, hey, look, like, I think if I was in that position, I would do it this way. But, you know, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And, 
Um, it was just really nice, you know, hearing kind of his, some of his insight. I feel like, um, you know, anytime you get to hear a, a former professional's insight about, you know, the game and things like that, it always, it carries more weight, right? And, you know, so I, uh, I really enjoyed hearing his thoughts. And uh, Kaminsky, I agree with you. There was a couple things he said in there a few times, and I caught myself just going, oh, yep, I agree with that. You know, I was like, oh, you know, you just, you, you preach that well. I think especially with, like, the Colleton comment, you know, about, like, yeah, I, how are you going to do that to the kid? You, you fire Joel midseason. You make him step in two days later to coach. And it's like, yeah, you put him behind the eight ball, you know. And um, I just, yeah, it was really nice getting here. I obviously get to speak with Brent again. It's been about a year since, uh, you know, we as a Four Feathers group, um, you know, spoke with him. Um, and it, so it was nice to get him back on again. And, um, you know, not only hear about his the great work he's doing over at the foundation, but also his takes on some Blackhawks hockey. Yep, uh, definitely, Ron. So um, that was going to kind of transition into our topics that we have here after this is the first time gentlemen that we've all been able to get together uh on the mic actually because ron and i i believe we recorded the day before they put out the statement last time i think there were some rumblings about what may have gone on but it wasn't official yet um that letter came out um like i said the day after we recorded our previous episode uh kind of talking about all the transactions to date um so far so i guess we kind of set it up uh with the moves that were made there but um let's go ahead and just round table it i think brent may have stole some of our thunder here uh but that's okay because it's good to hear it from him, but uh, any, regardless, I want to hear uh, thoughts, reactions to uh, the letter that the Blackhawks put out. I think, I think I liked it, the idea that they put the letter out. The issue I have with the letter is a, they really didn't tell us much. Um, it was a bunch of shit that we already knew, and b, their actions don't match the letter. You know, it's almost like they're a little scared to use the word rebuild, but they're not. Um, and then at the same time, it's not actually a, a rebuild. It's not. I mean, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Brent Seabrook, Duncan Keith, they're all still on the roster. You can't rebuild when you have those four guys on the roster. You can't do it. It's literally impossible. And I understand that they can't just get rid of these guys because of their no movement clauses. But, you know, it, Stan Bowman has said they're not even entertaining the fact of asking them to waive them, which means, and I'm not saying that they should, but that does mean that you're not rebuilding. You're not. And then at the same time, you want to say that you're rebuilding and you're looking towards the future. You trade Brandon Saad and you don't get a goddamn, you don't get a draft pick back. You get a, at this point, Nikita Zadorov is a veteran NHL defenseman. Now, sure, he's only 25 years old, but he's been in this league for a while. You really didn't even save any cap space. You didn't do much. You didn't get a pick. You didn't get any young players. That's not a, a move of looking towards the future. It's not because, and you could say Zadaroff is 25 and he's still got good years ahead of him. Cool. By the time the Blackhawks are good and going to be competitive again, Nikita Zadaroff's going to be in his 30s. Yeah, so it, that what what's the point? Yeah, and a good part about that, like yeah, just a couple uh, you know, backup points on what you just said, Comiskey. Because I, I honestly you stole a lot of uh, my words there, so it's going to be redundant if I repeat them. But you ate, and Brent mentioned this too, you ate a million still of Saad's salary, so not a whole lot of relief there. And then also, Zadorov, you didn't actually acquire, you acquired his rights, and then you had to give him the qualifying offer, and he signed that. But that's only one year. So, I mean, sure, the plan could be to keep him around, but by the time uh, you know you are getting good again, he's probably tailing off. So, Ron, I'll turn it over to you. I just wanted to give some supplementary comments on what Comiskey laid out there. Yeah, I think addressing the letter first, right? Um, I, I Honestly, I share a lot of the same thoughts as Comiskey um, and as as we heard from, from Brent as well. You know, it, it just, 
it's hard to come out and tell this fan base. Like, like Brent said, the Chicago fan base isn't stupid. You know, this isn't a casual fan base that you can say, oh, yeah, we're going to try and rebuild this team, blah, blah, blah. And then everybody's going to be like, oh, okay. Every, every Blackhawks fan right there read that letter and went, you guys are so full of shit. Like, it's just like, like, like Comiskey said, like the guys on this roster that are going to get you the assets back if you deal them to do a proper rebuild are Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and Dougie Keith. And the only reason I don't put Brent Sleepbrook in there is just because of his contract. I think he can come back healthy from these surgeries and still be a competent defenseman. I think he could potentially still play, you know, 19, 20 minutes a night if you need him, especially if he's truly healthy now when he said he hasn't been healthy in a decade. But even then, $6.875 million for, what, the next five years, I think? Or at least four. I think it's four, because I think he's one year after Taves, uh, Taves, Keith, and uh, Kane all fall off. But... Like, like, like Comiskey said, that's not a rebuild. That's a retool, quote unquote. And the problem when you retool is you need to be drafting well to retool. And I hate to say it, but the, the, the quote unquote picks that Stan Bowman hit on, he traded away. Sugo Teravainen no longer in this organization. Philippe Denault is no longer in this organization. Brandon Sod's no longer in this organization. Andrew Shaw is hurt and concussed. You know, like, literally, if you look at his track record of draft picks, his best draft picks are no longer in this organization. They're all gone. They were traded away because, like Brent said, you know, when you're in a cup run, that's okay. You want the team to trade prospects for guys that are going to help you win a cup. Trading, you know, um, at the time, Marco Dano in the first to get Ladd, I was cool with. You know, trading Tuvo Teravainen with Bickle to just shed a contract, eh. You know, it's it's one thing when, when you know, but I, I agree, you know, just echoing Comiskey, the, the letter does not at all tell us, based on their actions, what they're actually doing. Uh, it, it's a load of just run around to me. It's their way of just trying to cover their ass, saying we're going to suck for a few years. That's all it says to me. Um, and I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if this team can, knows how to properly rebuild because – Patrick Kane fetches you probably three first-round draft picks, or at least a very high-end prospect and two first-round draft picks. That's how you rebuild. And do I want Patrick Kane to finish his career in a Blackhawks uniform? Yes, absolutely. Selfishly, I would love that to happen. But if you're truly going to rebuild this roster, you need the draft capital to do it. But then the problem is, is with that draft capital, is Stan going to do the right fucking thing with it? I don't know. Yes, he lucked into the Kirby Doc pick, and so far that looks like that's probably going to at least work out. I think Kirby Doc's at worst, at this point, probably going to be a second-line center. And that's good. Um, Adam Boakvist looks like he's a solid NHL defenseman. That's good. But, like, the kid that they just drafted, who I know is playing with men in Europe and, you know, projects well, but for a, what, 14th overall pick? People 17th. are saying that his, 17th overall pick, people are, people are saying his ceiling is, like, a third-line winger. Like, that's not good. You know, that, that scares me. And that makes me wonder then if you are truly as an organization going to rebuild and even retool, you know, you literally, I, I, I agree. I think we had like, you know, Pat, you know, Patrick asked the question to Brent and I'm, I'm going to ask the same question hypothetically. Is Stan Bowman the right man for a retool? And I say, no, I think he was okay enough to do it when the core was already in place and you just had to get a couple guys to fill in spots. But when you need to fully you, – you don't have another top-line wing right now on the roster to go with Kubelik and Taves. You have, you know, 
I'm going to take a paid, you know, a word out of uh, Sokol's book. You know, you got the soft baby shit line. That's probably going to be your second line because Patrick Kane's not a hitter. That's just not what he's paid to do. And it's probably going to be to break it and strong. And then what? You're going to put Kirby Doc on the third line with Pia Suter and Brandon Peary? Like, you know, what is this team going to look like? It, it just, it, I don't know. I, I just, I digress. I, I agree. I don't think the letter tells fans anything. And quite frankly, if you are truly going to rebuild, then act like it. They're not acting like it. And it's just a little bullshit. And it's just making me upset. Yeah, and I think there's I think there's one big takeaway that I have from this. And Brent mentioned it. He said, you know, they've got to get in there and they've got to hire John McDonough's replacement. they got to get it done. I think they already did it. I really do. You haven't heard a word about them searching for a new president. You haven't heard any rumors, anything. I think Danny Wirtz is keeping that job, dude. And you keep seeing these drastic changes coming from the way the Blackhawks are operating. Like, the way they're operating right now, you know, they're being transparent. They're being honest. They're not hiding stuff. Stan Bowman is on a barstool podcast he's going on a podcast with mark lazarus and scott powers and they're asking him pressing questions that aren't just cupcake questions the blackhawks are changing and who who's behind that change i think it's danny wartz i think danny wartz is keeping that job i think here, here's the one thing comiskey i want to add on i think what this franchise truly needs to do i think danny wartz is fine being a president of hockey op- or of not of hockey operations but of business operations because I, I agree with you. You're seeing the business changes, right? And I, I think he's the right man for the job. He's got good, great brains, obviously. He's a Wurtz. We all know Wurtz Beverage is, you know, such a massive company in this country. And that's obviously how the Wurtz family has all the money to own the Blackhawks. But, you know, I, I think you see every successful organization right now around the NHL has a president of business operations and a president of hockey ops. Bring in a Steve Yeiserman type guy to be your president of hockey ops. Let him run the ship on the ice. And then, yeah, let Danny Wirtz run it off the ice. Because I'll tell you what, I think it's a breath of fresh air for fans, like you said, Kaminsky. Like, this team's going to be a little more open now with the fan base than it's ever been in, in its entire history, really. So I, I think that's a, a positive change in that essence, especially as a fan. But, yeah, you know, like you said, at the same time, I don't think Danny Wirtz is going anywhere. But I, I still think they need to add a president of hockey ops because God forbid Danny Wirtz is making hockey decisions like John McDonough did. We're ju- it's just going to be it's going to be a terrible you know case of deja vu. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, um, you guys hit on a bunch of stuff, so it'd be like I had mentioned, it'd be pretty redundant for me to uh, really sit here and rehash all the points you make. Uh, but Camus, you brought up something that made me think a little bit. I understand, uh, you know, sure, they weren't asking him softball questions, but the fact that you have to go on the media tour and, and everyone's podcast, Blackhawk Talk, Laz and Powers, Barstool Chicago, to get all the youngins in on this, um, it, it just reeks of a little bit of uh, please like me. Um, and I don't like the vibe. I mean, maybe it's just me being cynical here, um, but it, it really, that's, oh, we got to go out and explain this and really uh, drive home to these people what the mission is. And you know what the thing is? It didn't work because after the fact, we're still sitting here kind of dumbfounded at what the hell is all going on. So I, I would say you were unsuccessful in this in all facets of it, from both the wording of the letter, which is very uh, PR and generic. And I know that's have to come out, but shit, be a little heartfelt for once. What were you just trying to um, go off what the Rangers did? That's really what it looks like because they did this, what, two years prior? Um, that's what it felt like uh, in this one. And then the other uh, component of it is actions not being able to back up words. And uh, 
I think it's a very legitimate point to bring up that, sure, it is hard to move those, especially who, no one's taking on Brent Seabrook's contract. Um, Duncan Keith is probably movable, so you, could, you probably could if you wanted, but you'd also, once again, have to ask him to waive it. And like you had said, Ron, they're not really doing that. They said that's not that's not part of the equation here, that they're not asking those guys to. Um, Patrick Kane, as much as it would hurt, like you had said, that's your best chip. Uh, to go and jumpstart this thing uh, in the right direction if rebuilds really the way that you're going here. So um, the, the letter to me just boiled down to uh, it's more of the same, and here's our excuse for losing um, for the next couple of years. So it was just disappointing uh, overall. That's about all I've got on this one. So uh, another uh, former NHL or former Blackhawk chimed in on this as well, and we kind of discussed this in our group chat, but I think it's good that we're uh, going to get here and air it out uh, on the microphone. So Kamiski, I wanted to open it up to you because you were the one that brought this up. And it was John Scott's uh, comments because he has his own podcast, uh, Dropping the Gloves, uh, the, the one that he produces and does a lot of interviews. And, you know, um, we, you know, the kind of personality that John Scott is. And he just kind of lets it flow as is. Uh, but he, he had some choice words about it. He said, I would be upset if I was Taser Kane. Uh, I'd be embarrassed if I was the organization. If I was a fan, I'd be like, great. I complained and they answered me. So guess what? I'm going to complain some more and they better answer me again or else I'm going to be super upset. Um, and then he also said, you shouldn't have to explain your moves to Twitter trolls just because you made a couple of trades. Uh, it just looks weak. It looks soft. I don't like it. So that's context of these quotes. Comiskey, I want to open the floor to you first because maybe you clarify uh, a little more of what we were kind of talking about in our chat when we were setting this one up. Yeah. So, you know, like you had said, I don't like what Stan's doing with his little uh, bullshit media tour because that's what it is. It's bullshit. Um, he's just out there spewing his same old shit and trying to make it look pretty, but he's not being successful in it. But I think what John Scott is more saying, I think John Scott is kind of more taking the side of Stan Bowman that and kind of saying the fans should just shut up and let him run things and they should just be fine with it. Well, you know, we've been watching Stan Bowman run this thing straight into the ground for five years now, and frankly, we've had enough. And you know what? When you've been as unsuccessful as Stan Bowman has, maybe you do need to explain yourself a little bit because you took a Ferrari and you crashed it into a damn wall. It was still a little bit drivable, and then you crashed it again. So, like, you know what? He might need to explain himself. Maybe he doesn't need to explain himself to us. But, I mean, I think the Blackhawks, if, you know, I know all of us went to games at the United Center last year, and they like to tote, tote the fact that they still had that sellout streak going. Well, guess what? A lot of people were dressed up as red United Center seats last season because they might have sold all those tickets, but people weren't going because there are a lot of empty seats at the United Center. So maybe that's why Stan does need to explain himself a little bit because Blackhawks fans have, frankly, had enough. And, you know, you could say, poor us, you know, you had all that success. Yeah, that's true. We were spoiled for a while, but it's been five years. That's a long time. A lot of shit happens in five years, and the Blackhawks have quickly went from one of the best-run organizations in sports to they're becoming a joke, man. Like, the team that shares a building with them is starting to become ran, and that is a huge, huge problem. Like, Blackhawk, I think you're going to watch things really start to go downhill if they don't get this right. So they... They did, in a way, need to explain themselves to fans like, 
hey, this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to be a little more transparent because in the past, all those years under McDonough, we operated in the shadows. And that's fine when you're winning. You don't owe people jack shit when you're winning because it's working. Well, guess what? It's not working anymore. So you have to change the way you act. And sports in general have changed a lot. Teams are across all sports are more open. They're more transparent with their fans. I think that's what the Blackhawks under Danny Wirtz are trying to get themselves I don't think you're trying to service the trolls. No one gives a fuck about the trolls. Trolls generally don't know what they're talking about. I think the general, real Blackhawks fan is very, very concerned with what's going on. And I think the real, hardworking, money-spending Blackhawks fan who, you know, maybe is a season ticket holder and wondering, well, what the hell am I spending my money on? They deserve at least something of an answer. They don't, they don't you know deserve the blueprint, but they deserve to be in the loop a little bit because no one knows what the hell's going on. We've spent the last 30 minutes of this uh, of this talk talking about how, hey, we don't understand what the hell they're doing. The moves they're making don't match what they're saying, and they don't really make sense in the long term. Brent Sopel told us right now that he if he was, you know, if he was in charge, he would not let Stan Bowman go another day running this thing. He they need new direction, he said. I agree. So they need to be more transparent. They do need to tell us because they've been a shit show for a couple years now. All right. I'm glad that I let you go first because uh, that that definitely did clarify some things. uh, And I don't think we're going to have as much of a clash uh, as we first thought uh, Comiskey when talking about this. So, um, yeah, if you if you view it as John Scott uh, taking the side of Stan Bowman in a way that, oh, he doesn't have to explain himself, then, um, yeah, I I definitely see see where uh, you could be, you know, saying that John Scott's uh, comments are off base here. Um, But. As you just mentioned, sure, we don't, you know, we're trying to dissect this. We don't really know uh, the direction that this thing is going. Um, do you feel any better after that letter? That, that's just my no, question. I now. don't. Do you? Not at all. I actually feel it, worse. But I don't think that removes the premise that there needed to be something. What they gave us sucked, I, but there should have been something. So I, I, I did take uh, my, my fair share of PR uh, classes in uh you know, in college and this is textbook shit. So I hate it because I can see the examples. This is literally what you're like typing up for example, PR statements in whatever it was, uh, three Oh two down at U of I, I like seriously, I took a PR class where uh good old Jay Blunk came and talked to us. So, uh, cause Illinois state alum. So, uh, yeah, he, he hit it home. Yeah. So I, I mean, I guess that's where I'm more frustrated at. And I kind of, uh, if you really, and I know he tried to do this on the, you know, the tours, but uh, even the, the media tour answers to, to those questions were just still so PR like it was like he was sitting, uh, at, at the podium. Maybe, maybe he showed a little more, uh, personality, maybe a little more facial expression, but the words did not carry that much more weight, at least in my opinion. Uh, that, maybe that's just my perception of it, the way that I'm looking at this. But uh, it, it still just felt like the same old shit. We're just going to uh, drape it and throw up the excuse uh, that this is why uh, we're going to be bad. And it's it's frustrating overall. Um, but I, I guess it's just the sentiment of, and I understand, the, they're a you know, professional sports organization. They have to do things by the book. But man... Really trying to strike a chord. Um, the look at a team like Carolina Hurricanes. They go off the wall. Um, sure, they, they don't have as big of a fan base, but people love them for it. That um, uh, they do kind of, you know, odd 
tactics that um, kind of are actually relatable and it does, just doesn't seem like pandering. Um, so that, that's just where I wanted to leave it there. Uh, my take on, on the comments from Scott. Ron, if you want to chime in. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I really align on, like with both of you guys. I think, and I actually, you know what, I really like too what, what, what Brent said, and I'm going to kind of build off of that is, Team's been rebuilding more or less since what 2017, right? I mean, the 2016 was the infamous, you know, loss of the Predators in the playoffs, and then, you know, here we are in 2017. They suck, and they're but you know, but yet John McDonough sits on the podium and says they're a playoff team. This letter should have come out three years ago, and the problem with that is, is a typical rebuild usually only takes about three to five years. I don't think. They were truly trying to rebuild. I think they were just praying to God that the core could come through and carry this team into the playoffs again. And the only reason it worked in 2020 is because of a fucking pandemic shutting everything down and they expanding the playoffs. Otherwise, they would have been sitting on the couch with the Buffalo Sabres and every other dog shit team that didn't make the playoffs. And I think that's what is even more infuriating is that this front office tried to just Sweep it under the rug. We're, oh, we're, we're good. We have a good roster. This is a good team, you know. And yet they continue to shat the bed every single season. And then it felt like the times were changing last year, right, with Stan and the that day one of free agency he had. We're going to go beef up our bottom six. We're going to go get Ryan Carpenter. We're going to bring back David Camp. We're going to go trade for Andrew Shaw and bring him back to be, you know, a third-line winger. You know, we're going to go do this. We're going to add Calvin DeHaan on our back end. We're going to go trade for Oli Mata. You know, we're, we're going to beef up our blue line. Oh, and we're going to go sign a Vezina finalist to play goalie. Great. Okay. Holy shit. It looked like you have – that to me is a retool. That's what I consider a retool right there. And then, sure, DeHaan gets hurt. But they have nothing else in place on the blue, blue line. So the blue line's fucking ass. You know, Shaw gets hurt, which, again, nothing you can do about injuries. It's not a shot at Andrew Shaw by any means. Ryan Carpenter was a great addition. The PK became a top-10 PK unit in the league. They went out and got Zach Smith. Zach Smith was, you know, brought in for the same reason. Beef up that bottom six. Beef up that that PK. That I remember the year before was, like, bottom five in the NHL. And, and yet they then – did they just miraculously decide last year then that they're going to rebuild? Because Robin Lander well, was shipped off. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't know. I, I just, I agree with you guys. I mean, this is just me venting at this point. I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. The letter was bullshit. Like, like you guys both said, it, it's a PR, just it's cookie cutter. It's PR cookie cutter bullshit. It's them saying, Hey, we're trying to say something to you just to say that we're saying something to you, but we're not going to give you enough information to dive in and really hammer us. And I'll tell you what, I honestly, at this point, I think the only thing, and here, here's why I think John Scott saying that the fans didn't deserve to know what's going on is bullshit, is because, guess what? Now, because like Brent said, Chicago fans aren't stupid. There's going to be a lot more people dressed up as seats. It's going to be Halloween every single fucking Blackhawks game. There's going to be a lot of red seats in there. A lot of people dressed as red seats, having a great old time with their beer, because ain't nobody going to want to go see this dog show. It's going to be dog shit. No. And, you know, to build on what you were saying about these moves they made before last season, I don't know if you if you were able to either you were able to catch uh, Stan's interview there with the athletic when he went on with Laz and Powers. But he even said in there, you know, 
they asked him, you know, it's looking like we're going to rebuild, huh? And he said, yeah. He goes, you know, to be honest with you, this isn't something, you know, that's just starting now. We've been doing it the last couple of years. Okay, well, well, hold on. If you were if you were rebuilding the last couple of years, why the hell did you bring Andrew Shaw back? Why the hell did you bring in Calvin DeHaan? Why did you bring in Ryan Carpenter? All these. If you're going to rebuild, you need to lose. You need to lose. You got to lose. You got to get into the top of the draft. And they just keep making these tiny little moves. And you've seen it this year, too, with this offseason, when they brought in Walmart and... Uh, yeah, and Yanmark, it doesn't make any sense. You should be trying to lose games. It's it's not an actual rebuild, and that's the thing. It's like you can say all these, you can say all the shit that you want to say. It might sound good, but it, your actions don't match your words. And like, what the hell are you trying to do? Like, you bring in these players to patch holes. Like, you have young guys, let them play. Why are you bringing these guys in? Bring your let your young guys play. If they don't get to lose, you're rebuilding, right? It doesn't matter, and you're going to – they might get set a record for most goals allowed next season when they trot out Colin Delia and Kevin Lankinen and Malcolm Subban, and they've been stuck in the middle for years now, and no one wants to be the middling team because that shit doesn't work, and that's when the Rangers said – that's when the Rangers really let her, like the Blackhawks did. They basically said, hey, this shit didn't work. We went for it, and it didn't work. We're done being the team in the middle. We're going to be really bad for a little bit, and then we're going to be good again. That's what the Blackhawks, I guess, were trying to say, but that's not what they're actually doing. And that's my big problem with it. I think your sentiment is shared uh, pretty much citywide uh, among fans. Um, just one more uh, comment on here. I, I talked about the language and using this very sports PR cookie cutter. We, we've mentioned this. Um, the line starts the second paragraph. We're committed to developing our young players and rebuilding our roster. Um I have very legitimate concerns. I don't want to jump the bus, and this is why I asked Brent a question of what to look for in the development of young defensemen. Um, outside of Adam Boquist and Ian Mitchell, um, I've really turned on our defensive prospects. And like I said, maybe this is me being impatient. Maybe this is just my opinion on it. Ron, maybe you can uh, offer me a little bit better um, you know, perspective on this, but um, I don't see a winning blue line in the pipeline. I really don't. No, I don't either. Um, I actually echo you on that because, <clears throat> quite frankly, you know, I, I think here's the here's part of the problem too, right? Is, you know, we, I've gotten into arguments with people on Twitter about this all the time. They're like, uh, you know, we talked about it in this last draft. How many defensemen stand drafted? And they said that the one kid he took in the third round with that second pick that they had. A lot of people really like that pick. They thought he's a very good value pick. He's going to go to college, so he'll take that route. He'll develop. But right now I look at this organizational depth on the blue line, and I see – I guess we'll throw Adam Bokefist in this. I see three names that probably maybe ever sniff the NHL on a regular basis, and that's Ian Mitchell, who we'll probably see next season, realistically. Um, Adam Bokefist, who obviously is already in the show. And probably Alex Vlasic, who was the second-round pick last year um, after they took Kirby Dockham, the big stay-at-home type defenseman uh, that's currently playing in college. But outside of that, Johnny, I completely agree with you. There ain't shit in this pipeline that gets me really excited. So, there's a lot of names, but none of them good. Um, that's kind of a, a twist on a line from The Shining since it is Halloween season here. But yeah. You know, a lot of ideas, none of them good. Uh, that, that's seriously what it feels like um, with the Blackhawks, at least on the blue line. I can look up and down, and there's some hope for some of these forward guys, and I really think that some of these are going to be studs, uh, and they're going to jump in and make some impacts. I really do. 
um, probably eventually to be traded by Stan if he's still running the show. Uh, but that's, that's a conversation for a different day. But I, I, I have more faith in that. that. Let's just, you know, be there uh, with that. And I used to, you know, I kind of held out hope for uh, Lucas Carlson and Nick Bodine. And sure, I'll watch him and see what the development's like. And we can check in again on this uh, at the midway point of the season, maybe, if these guys are seeing some time, um, whether it be in Rockford or uh, some of those guys, I would imagine at least one of them uh, is getting some NHL minutes uh, mixed in with, with the other guys that are already on in the group um but i you know even with the mentorship of duncan keith and brent seabrook since those guys will still be there and that's what stan wanted ultimately of this to help build you know guide these next wave of players through um i just don't think the talent is legitimately there on the back end so uh, you're gonna go after to find help uh whether that be via the draft but then you're even kicking this can even further down the road because we talked about the time that it takes for defensemen to develop and um that's legitimately one of my biggest concerns here so a lot of names none of them good I guess that's an oversimplification of my thoughts on that subject, but I just wanted to air it out um, because it's something that's been lingering on my mind since I saw your first line of the second paragraph in that letter. So um, if you guys have any other final thoughts on that, we kind of move this thing into a wider uh, subject that was just news today. No, I, I think if anything, just uh, I, maybe this is the, the, the time that I can actually bring up the thought that I wanted to bring up. And that was, you know, we asked Brent about who he would have picked with the third overall pick, Johnny. You mentioned the lack of, you know, at least good prospects on the on the on the blue line. You know, I think like you know we we talked about it a little bit off air. You know, center was a organizationally weak position on the on, in the, the the system. You know, there wasn't a lot of guys that right now look like they're going to be top six centers. Um, a lot of maybe guys that can maybe be top six wins, maybe. But not really any top six centers. So I think at the time, you know, the Kirby Doc pick, and it looks like it's going to work out just fine. But the argument that Brent brings up for for Bowen Byron, I think is legitimate because, you know, like he said, teams are scrambling to find number one defensemen. And he mentioned it. Vegas goes in overpays for Petrangelo. In the process, they have to rip apart parts of their team in order to make it work for the cap. I think they are a significantly worse team than they were, what, two and a half months ago. Um, you know, Toronto, he mentions Toronto. They've been searching for a number one defenseman for forever. I think Morgan Riley's very good and probably right on the borderline of that true number one guy. But, you know, even he's not quite there. I mean, you know, if, and we'll obviously eventually we'll find this out, you know, but Bowen Byram's going to probably be nothing more than a two in Colorado because of Kale McCarr. Uh, and, God, that's a terrible problem to have if you're the avalanche, and I hope everybody smells the sarcasm off of my breath. But, you know, like, you, you maybe you start to wonder, right? Like, oh, would Byram maybe have been the better choice? You know, because it, I, I think, obviously, you know, this is always a hindsight question, right? You know, we, you know, five years from now, we could probably answer this. But, you know, are you willing to punt down the road on getting organizational depth at center? Maybe you get those guys as prospects through trades. Maybe if you would have hold on to Brandon Saad until the deadline, you get a guy like Tyson Jost instead from the abs instead of Zadorov. You know, you know, do you get then that number one defenseman in Byram and you have that number two in Boakfist and then maybe you have your number three in Mitchell and maybe your number four in Vlasic and then all of a sudden, holy shit, you have a homegrown blue line that, you know, maybe you just need to fill in your bottom three or if Vlasic becomes a better bottom pairing guy, you know, then you, you can mix and match. And then you only need to acquire one top four defenseman, not three of them. Because, you know, Keith's not getting any younger. 
who the hell knows what DeHaan and Murphy's futures are with this team, you know, especially given their contract. And you know, like Boquist is the only piece that we know for sure is going to probably be there in five years. And probably now Ian Mitchell. And then, like you said, that's it. So um, I just, you know, kind of wanted to air that thought out there. It just, it's, it's a nice, you know, thought sparking, you know, kind of comment that, that Brent made. It's just like a, it, it does make you sit back a little bit and go, huh, you know, and makes almost my probably following the Byram going to be a little more so now, because now I really want to see if he actually does become that true number one, number two, you know, maybe gets a lot of, you know, kind of publicity and, 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 you know, recognition as a true number one, two defenseman. And if that's the case, you know, then maybe you're like, ah, well shit, you know, wouldn't have been mad about that pick. But um, I think we, we all kind of agreed off air too. Like the Kirby doc pick looks like it's going to pan out and, you know, barring some, you know, terrible injury or something like that, you know, he's probably, he's going to be a fixture in the top six for a long time for this team. So I think, you know, at the time, I think the doc picks make sense, but I, I think the, the Byram argument, makes just as much sense as the doc pick did, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, good good points all around. Definitely, you know, a hindsight thing. We'll be able to look back in maybe, you know, six years or so and make a, you know, final judgment on that. Um, but I, I can live with the doc pick. Uh, I, I, you really need a next number one guy and getting him in here. Maybe that's one thing that they say uh, that, that they're doing right and letting him learn under Jonathan Taves wing. You're really talking about a rebuild process. So I can at least give kudos there. Uh, maybe you're not doing it as well on the back end and Byram could have learned from Keith or whatever. Um, but uh, I, I think that's okay. And I can live with that, but in, intriguing discussion uh, regardless, since uh, he did bring up bone Byram. So um, I like that, Ron uh, last topic I had for you guys. Uh, it's, it's been kind of doom and gloom. I feel like a little bit uh, down the tail end of this episode. So uh, new numbers released. We kind of had some chats uh, back and forth about this for all the new guys uh, coming in. Um, I just thought it was interesting. Mate Halupa. It's going to wear number 67, uh, my former Michael Froelich number. So, uh, I'm, you know, we're expecting unbelievable short-handed goals and uh, penalty shots and big moments from Mate Halupa since he chose that number. I thought that was funny. I don't know if you guys had any other comments. I know we talked about it a little bit in the group, but if you want to air it out at all, go for it. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of them that stand out to me, I think it, it cracks me up that Peary doesn't want his old number back. I don't know. I think 37 organizationally might be being used already, but... Um, him coming back at 73 is kind of funny. Um, Matthias Janmark wearing 13 is going to crack me up just because he's nothing like Daniel Carcillo. So that's just kind of naturally <laughs> out actually, of the game. I actually have a Dan Carcillo jersey, which is funny. It's true, ladies and gentlemen. Slap some tape on that with the uh, Yanmark. <laughs> Yanmark. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we mentioned the you know, 71 just being such a clean hockey number. So Walmart wearing that is, is fun. Um, I think the one that kind of stood out the most to me one from like a ooh standpoint and one from like a hmm standpoint. Um, the ooh standpoint, I think, is um, Alti Barmakian. Uh, him wearing 84 just because I love weird high numbers like that in like the 80s and 90s on hockey players. I think Patrick Kane. on ice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, like, you know, Patrick Kane, I think, kind of started that trend for me of just loving like how an 80 number looks on a hockey jersey. Um, so I think 84 and it's, you know, it's just such a, an out there number. I mean, not a ton of guys wear 84 in the NHL. Um, but then Ian Mitchell wearing 51. Um, I I saw this mentioned, you know, previously on, on Twitter, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I by any means came up with this thought. But, you know, interestingly, he picks 51. The last Hawk to really wear 51 was Brian Campbell. Um, and Brian Campbell had a very good career. And if Ian Mitchell is anything remotely close to what Brian Campbell was, 
that's a very successful second round pick if you ask me. So th- those are kind of the ones that probably stood out to me the most um, of all the new numbers that were assigned today. I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, Kurashev wearing 23 and Kevin Lankin and wearing 32, I'd like to make sure that both of them uh, reached out to Chris Versteeg and made sure that it was okay that they grabbed his two former numbers with the Hawks. <laughs> yeah, good, good points, good points. Uh, and just speaking of a former Hawk, um, Michael Tepley, don't be fucking anything like Brandon Mashinter, please. That's, uh, <laughs> no, I, I got ran, I, I got random numbers just embedded into my brain because that's how it works. It's weird. Um, but yeah, uh, Brandon Mashinter, I don't know if you remember him, but uh, just big, good for nothing. A, a career AHL guy, but obviously the situation the Hawks were in, uh, he was their tough guy uh, at a time. Michael Tepley, go score goals. Don't be fighting people in the corner. Um, that's about all I've got for this one. So, gentlemen, uh, final thoughts. Uh, we're about to wrap this thing up here uh final thoughts on what we talked about with brent uh any other topic you want to bring up for a quick discussion here if not um then we can uh kind of get to the uh typical uh housekeeping news that we do at the end um yeah just really quick I, obviously it's always a pleasure getting to talk to brent uh we johnny you myself and, and tony got the opportunity to take a picture with him uh at the end of that evening you know and you and tony got to be there for the golf outing and, and speak to brent originally um, you know, just, it's nice, you know, that we're able to, to let him share his story here and he's able to, you know, and he's willing to share it with us. And, uh, obviously it always a pleasure talking to him and, and a huge thank you to him for, for doing that. Um, and then just one more quick number thing. If Pia Suter comes in and plays anything like Marty Havlat, I'd be very happy because 24, um, I, I actually was a huge Marty Havlat fan. Maybe I'm in the minority on that thought, but, uh, that is, that is my final thought, uh, for today's episode. I as well, a big Marty Havlet guy. Um, but, you know, going into, you know, final thoughts on these, you know, great to talk to Brent Sopel again. You know, it was really nice. Uh, he, he, you know, I think he was, you know, it's just great to hear honesty from a former player like that, um, you know, about how he feels about the current direction. And uh, great to see him still doing great things out there. You know, you almost hope that, you know, if anyone listening or whatever, you know, if you're just, you know, it's good, probably good to know for everyone that, you know, no one's alone in these type of things when you're facing whatever challenges you're facing. So it's great for Brent to get out ahead of that and, uh, you know, truly make a difference. But, you know, as far as everything goes, you know, we look into it and look at the current state of the Blackhawks. <laughs> I, I think I could feel worse about it. So I'll I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, once again, echoing what you guys said, excellent talk to Brent again. Once again, October is Dyslexia Awareness Month, so the uh, fight continues all year, though. So go and check out BrentSobelFoundation.org, uh, his Facebook page, Instagram. Um, he's pretty active on those uh, posting updates uh, about what foundation is doing and all that stuff. So I know we mentioned that earlier, but uh, I just wanted to do that before we do our plugs here. One last thought, uh, just on numbers here. I think I've blown all the hot air that I can about the organi- direction of the organization or lack thereof. Um, so I'll save that. So anyhow, a fun one. Uh, Evan Barrett wearing number 26. He will not be as tall as Michael Hanzoos, but he will play um, like he's seven feet tall uh, just because he doesn't give a shit. He will go and, you know, do whatever it takes. So I kind of like that uh, carrying the it's uh, mm, a word um, lunch pail guy uh, mentality from Michael Hanzoos on the number 26 for Evan Barrett. And I, you know me, I've been a big fan of Evan Barrett ever since watching him at Penn State, the Friday night hockey broadcast that we get here uh, in the Midwest. So that was my foul thought here. Um, once again, we, we thank Brent Sopel for coming on and joining the show. Always good to talk to a Stanley Cup champion and someone who does such uh, outstanding work uh, for a cause that he really truly believes in and is affected by it. So um, uh, once again, excellent there. As for us here, uh, Four Feathers podcast is presented 
presented by the ONTAP Sports Network. So make sure you're going to ONTAPSportsNet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. If you enjoy the Four Feathers podcast, please give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen. And once again, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Four Feathers Pod and at ONTAP Sportsnet. So, gentlemen, that does it for Season 2, Episode 3 of Four Feathers Podcast. This was the Brent Sopel episode. Let's close it down. Let's go Hawks, baby. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks.